0: This episode of the Food for Thought podcast. I'm your host, Erin Ulstrom. A review of thousands of compressed air systems has revealed that, on average, users operate below 50% of system capacity. And in fact, oversized compressors are among the most common problems in air systems. Here to talk more about that on the podcast today are Kaiser compressors Wayne Perry and Neil Melchetter. They'll address why oversizing occurs and how oversized systems reduce reliability and increase maintenance and lifestyle costs. Enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Let's get right into it. You've talked before about your teams, I mean, air systems that operate below 50% system capacity. Can you elaborate more on that? What does it mean, and what is the
2: significance? Sure. The uh, uh, people oftentimes think that, you know, oh, I need this much compressed air, so I better put in a fudge factor, or we're going to expand next year or the year after, so I'm gonna buy the compressors uh, for that expanded size and just run them at part part load capacity. And that's super inefficient. There have been a lot of cases that I've looked at where it would have made more sense for them to buy a small compressor, run a small compressor, and the energy savings alone would have paid for buying another compressor when the plan expanded. Um, It's also very, very hard on your equipment to run them at at part load. Uh, You wind up getting a lot of cycling um, with the machine, and that wears out valves and switches and starting gear. Uh, It's just something you really don't need to be doing.
3: Yeah, I think Wayne really hit it on the head. You know, your your biggest issues are going to be lack of performance on your equipment. You now, most of the folks, you know, if you have uh, the pulse of your compressed air system, if you're getting warnings, messages, reporting, those kind of things, those folks are really um, well established on what's happening inside your compressor room and in the system, but in a lot of cases, most, most folks aren't. and And so you close the door and you never really hear from it again unless there's a problem. So with these systems that are below fifty percent capacity, you hear about them quite a lot. Uh if you're you know the, the maintenance manager or the plant engineer or production engineer or the plant manager, you know when the compressor's down, the whole plant's down. And typically those are the systems that are, are below capacity uh or operating capacity, meaning that you know we we have a system that the compressor is never able to, to operate in the best way possible, and so you tend to get more maintenance issues um, and shorter mean um, time between failure uh, for these systems. So those are the things that, that you're really looking at and kind of want to take a step back and see that forest through the trees aspect of your compressed air system.
1: What are some key points our listeners can look for to tell if they're operating below capacity?
3: So, Aaron, I, I just touched on a little bit of that, um, you know, mostly if your, your uh, employees, uh, the folks on the plant floor, are screaming that they don't have enough compressed air or the compressor is down again, that's that's typically a key point on, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, you have, I'm going to say enough capacity, but you're operating the right system. Um, other indicators um, of oversize would be, you know, too frequently, you have to go there for those shutdown calls, or you're calling somebody in for that um, breakdown issues. Of course, uh, over temperature—that's um, also an indicator. Let's say um, too frequent cycling, uh, and so that's that loading and unloading of your compressor. Um, you know, typically speaking, we say you're looking at you know 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. That's a 50% duty cycle. Um, that's still a lot of cycles within a five or ten-minute period. Um, you know, so if you look at the load counter uh, on your load solenoid valve, and you're into the millions, you know that that's uh, a big indicator. Um, load hours versus service hours is how you're going to tell if if you're below capacity or not. Of course, if you have a variable frequency drive or a variable speed drive, uh, that might not be a great indicator. So you do have to kind of dial in there to see um, how that particular compressor or system is actually operating. Uh, another key indicator is uh, your specific power. Uh, so specific power is a kilowatt per 100 CFM delivered for the system. And if you're not certain on how to calculate that, you know, certainly there are compressed air professionals that can help you figure that out uh, as well. Um, I think Wayne probably want to touch on a few things as well.
2: Well, Neil, you touched on high temperature, but the other issue if if your system is oversized is you may not be operating your compressors long enough to get them up to operating temperature. And if you're you're not, if they're oil flooded rotary screw compressors, uh, you're going to wind up with uh, temperatures that are too cold, and you're going to get water condensing in the oil separator system. Uh, it's going to shorten the life of your oil, shorten the life of your bearings. In uh, in oil-free systems, you know, and a lot of food processing uses oil-free compressors. It's just going it, to, you really do have to look at what's going on with the temperature because when those machines unload, you don't really have air going through the air ants. And air going through the air ants. Uh, actually stabilizes the temperature. If you've been running the compressor loaded and then suddenly you unload the, temp- the compressor, the temperature in the area is going to go up for a while uh, before it goes back down. So you've just got to be real careful uh, with with how you're uh, handling oversized systems uh, to keep the maintenance in line and keep the longevity of the machines in uh, to what they were designed to do.
1: Now, if someone has identified that the system is oversized and they're not using it to its full capacity, what now? What are some of the steps to remedy the situation?
3: Sure. Um, you know, as a compressed air provider, there's a lot of different things that we can do to help. Um, and and one of the, the paramount ways is to figure out how much air you're really using now, um, how much are you using? How much do you actually need? And so um, to measure or log what we call an air demand analysis is a great way to figure out what what you're doing today. Um, Logging data, however you do it, you should do it for a longer term period, a week, two weeks, something like this. Um, Ideally, like I mentioned uh, during question one, you know, if you're already dialed into the system, you're getting reporting, maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, you really know what's going on. You know how much air you're using. You know how much, let's say, power you're pulling into the system. Um, so first, you know, measure it. Figure out how much you're using, how much you need. Um, you know, the, the easiest thing is if, if the system's using a lot less air, than you're capable, like Wayne said. You put in that fudge factor, and, you know, I'd... I looked at the design, and somebody else looked at the design. Everybody had a fudge factor, and what we see this quite a lot. You know, what is a 30 or 40 cfm system, um, which is a 10 horsepower compressor? Uh, we may have a 50 horsepower compressor in there, or a 100 horsepower compressor in there. And in a lot of cases, you know, things change. Maybe the, 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 the production was downsized, or they changed production equipment. So they're not using as much compressed air as you were before so you know the idea would be can we use a smaller compressor for that same demand and if that's the case then you know great what's the ROI on that how much are we spending today and it's not just what we're spending on energy but it's also what we're spending on maintenance for this large oversized maybe unreliable compressor uh, to then look at something that's right sized so you know that's one way we can really look at how it's operating, what it is we we need to do, um, and then there's also a couple other ways. But I think I'll uh, defer to Wayne here and, and see if he covers them all.
2: Well, uh, as as Neil said before, you know if you're running 30 seconds loaded and 30 seconds unloaded, uh, you've got way, that's a 50% duty cycle, and you're cycling way too often. One of the ways, if you've already got the machines in and you can't afford to buy a smaller compressor, uh, a less expensive approach, uh, even with that 50% duty cycle, what you want to do is spread that off out instead of being 30 seconds loaded and 30 seconds unloaded. It would be much better to be three minutes loaded and three minutes unloaded. That's still a 50% duty cycle. The way you can do that is by um, putting in storage. And, you know, I've I've talked to people who thought, you know, a 240-gallon tank, that's a big tank. Uh, and I've talked to people who thought, you know, a 2,000-gallon tank, that's a small tank. But you need, you can get your service provider to come in and do the calculations on how big an air receiver you would need to lengthen out that, that cycle time. Uh, and the other thing that affects cycle time is your load and unload uh, pressure set point. So if you're loading at, say, 100 pounds and unloading at 105 pounds, you may want to spread that out to loading at 100 pounds and unloading at 110 or maybe 115. That puts your compressor putting more air into the system you know at a higher pressure gives it some time to use that store the energy out of your out of your storage and your piping system so it allows you to be unloaded for a longer length of time but a good service provider can sit down with you and run the calculations and figure out a way uh, to do that the other thing about putting in storage is you never have to rewind the motor on its receiver tank. You never have to change the oil on the receiver tank. There's no filters on the receiver tank to change. So once you get it in, it's pretty much, other than other than uh, a drain on it, it's pretty much maintenance-free in there, and it's a good solution to help you stretch out those duty cycles, keep the machine warm, uh, and also give you some better... Uh, Energy efficiency with those longer duty cycles.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Wayne Wayne hit it on the head. And um, you know, when I first learned more about compressed air, that was one of the the first things that I I internalized from what Wayne said was, I'll sell you a maintenance uh, contract on a receiver any day, because like you said, you know, there's there's really nothing to it, um, but it it provides such a big bonus. Um, in regard to operation for your compressed air system. So thanks, Wayne, for bringing me back.
2: (laughs) You're welcome.
1: When planning a new plant or expanding an existing system, do you have any advice on how to plan for future growth without buying too big of a system?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, we, we We call an optimum system a split system. Uh, A split system is where you have multiple smaller machines that you can bring on in steps uh, instead of one big machine. I always try my best to discourage people from buying one big machine to serve their plant. That's, That's a very inefficient way to do it because if that machine runs at part load, it's a big machine running inefficiently. If you've got Say three or four machines. You divide, you know, you divide you four machines that each are 25% of your anticipated demand instead of one big machine. Then you've got you've got some of the machines running fully loaded. Which, if it's making compressed air, that's the most efficient design running point is fully loaded. The other one is off. So you may have two of them running fully loaded, one of them off, and one of them trimming. But you've only so you've got this inefficient part load operation on a much smaller machine. You're wasting much less electricity because it's it's a 25% of your capacity machine that's that's loading and unloading. So always, always split this up and put in multiple small machines instead of one big machine. Uh, the the other thing I tell people, you know, just like we were talking in the last last question about receiver storage, uh, is if you anticipate any growth, uh, put in your big biggest pipe you can right off the bat. Put in enough pipe size to carry, you know, what you think you're going to need in 10 years. Go ahead and put that pipe in. It's just the cost of the material, the cost of the labor. You're going to be paying anyway to put the pi- to hang the pipe, so you might as well go ahead and upsize the pipe. That larger pipe again provides additional storage just like a receiver tank, lengthens out your load cycles, uh, improves the efficiency of the operation, also greatly reduces um, you know, pressure drop uh, by putting in a big pipe si- big pipe. Uh, and it also decreases turbulence in the pipe so that if you ever get any water or other contaminants in the pipe, chances are they're going to stay on the pop- bottom of the pipe because you don't have this turbulent flow that's throwing them all around uh, uh, the pipe. Uh, uh, that's, that's my recommendations to anybody who's designing a system is just look at using... Multiple smaller machines instead of one big one to meet your compressed air needs. Yeah, absolutely. I
3: I think what we've seen over time is that even even systems that that split, um, you know, where is that split? So if if the specification calls for let's say 2,000 cfm, is it better to have two 1,000 cfm compressors and and one a third one as a backup? or do we want to split that, um, say, two 500 CFM compressors and, and maybe one um, a little bit larger compressor, maybe 1,000 CFM? Um, you know, so those are the things that you really need to think about because what ends up happening in specified jobs, as we've seen, is that we're always oversized. So, <clears throat> you know, it's a greenfield space. and know, everyone has an opportunity to say, well, this fudge factor has to be in there and that fudge factor, and... We're going to have this growth and so on, and we've, we've just seen it so many times where uh, customers had the opportunity to purchase trim compressors and said, you know what, we're just going to go for those baseline compressors first, and those baseline compressors are a 1, 1,500 CFM, and they bought three of them. Well, you only need one, so I would have been better off buying two smaller machines <clears throat> to get that project done. Um This particular case in point that I'm talking about, um, we ended up putting in a fifty horsepower compressor for the overnight because they had some constant processes, a little bit of leakage, and the ROI for a fifty horsepower compressor was like six months. That's how much they were paying for an oversized compressor, let alone that's that was just energy, had nothing to do with. The maintenance costs, the larger machine, or the downtime they were experiencing because of the machine not being able to maintain temperature and frequent shutdowns. So, you know, that's that's a big thing that that we see on our end, um, and it it is something that we want to make sure that folks out there know it's definitely a possibility. Um, You know, look at those things, try to figure out what your duty cycles might be of your equipment, um, what your off-shift might be. Uh, variable frequency drive or variable speed drive machines, great trim compressor. Um, you do have to worry about you know, where you size those medium load units so you don't have any kind of control gaps, but you know, that's a really a, a great opportunity. So you know, I, I could talk all day about system sizing, but I think we, we covered kind of the bases there.
2: Yeah, Neil, there's some, a couple of other points I'd like to make. Uh, you talked about variable speed machines. Um, uh, and, with variable speed machines, if you grossly oversize the variable speed machine, where it's, you know, running down and, you know, below 50% much of the time, then again, you have, you have the same concerns you would have with a load unload machine. You're not going to build enough heat in there, uh, to keep the thing at the proper operating temperature. And that's real cri- critical, uh, with rotary screw compressors. I mean, if you're talking about a piston compressor, 30% duty cycle is wonderful because it gets to sit there and run and cool 70% of the time and just build heat 30% of the time. Rotary screws are totally different. They're really designed to run 24-7 at 100% capacity. That's where they're happy. That's where all the temperatures even out. it's running at its design temperature, it's keeping the water out of the system, and you're not hammering the valves. Another thing that you're not doing is if you're loading and unloading uh, rotary screw compressors or uh, centrifugal compressors, if you're in in that range, uh, then you've got coolers to be concerned about. And if you hit those with temperature because you're under load and then you suddenly unload and you're not putting any air through through it to be cooled, but you're still blowing cooling air across those coolers, they're going through thermal cycling. And that expands and contracts the metal of the cooler and can cause premature cooler failures. Uh, In addition to, as I said, you know, you've got valves uh, uh, that will fail early because they're being hammered a lot of times. I've gone into some places where the machine is a year old and you look at the cycle count a lot of the controllers you can go up and scroll through the menu and figure out how many times it's loaded and unloaded and i've seen one in two million cycles in a year of operation that means those valves are going back and forth one or two million times in that year they're certainly going to wear out a, a lot quicker than if you had you know some of your machines running flat out, only one small one trimming, and it's not going to trim as much as a big one would. Uh, uh, it's just you. Uh, oversizing just kills me. I, I I went into, I was giving a presentation to um, Neil knows this story to a group of engineers, an engineering company, and I said, "Okay, you guys do design build, right?" I said, "Yeah." <clears throat> And I said, okay. What happens is you're going to have you're going to assign one of your junior engineers the the project of going through and counting all of the air uses in the facility and figuring out how much compressed air this uses. So he's going to look at all these tools and their duty cycles. He's going to figure out an average uh, compressed air load and then he's going to say, okay, maybe I better go above the average. And it, this junior engineer figures out what he thinks it is, and he goes, boy, if, if I'm wrong, I'm in big trouble. You know, if this plant doesn't have enough compressed hair, uh, yep. they're going to come back on us, and I'm going to be in big trouble. So he adds a fudge factor, right. maybe 20 or 30%. Then he goes and takes it to his boss, uh, And his boss looks at it, pats him on the back. Great job. You've done a great job. He looks at this and goes, boy, if this guy's wrong, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) I don't want the client to call us back and say, we don't have enough compressor. So he adds a fudge factor. Uh, And then I turned to the audience I was talking to. I said, okay, who's the the junior engineer? This one guy raised his hand. I said, I'm the one that has to do all that. I said, who's the the, uh, uh, senior engineer that adds their fudge factor? I got a laugh from everybody because it was exactly the way they designed that and they come up with a, a, a more than adequate compressed air system for this greenfield operation. They don't have to pay – the engineering company doesn't have to pay the power bill. They don't have to pay the maintenance bill. And they're leaving the customer with you know, a, a, an inefficient system customer's not going to run out of air. It's got plenty of air. And my point to this engineering company was split this up, put a master controller in there, go ahead and be safe, put as much, as many compressors in there as you want, but have a master controller decide which of these compressors are going to be running as base load machines, which are going to be trim machines, how they're going to do this efficiently from an energy standpoint and from a maintenance standpoint. Um, but that's a tough sell to a lot of people. Putting in multiple machines generally is going to be a little more expensive than putting in one or two big machines. Just initially, it's going to be much less expensive in the long run. But initially, it's going to cost a little more money.
1: Well, Wayne and Neil, you definitely gave um, both myself and the rest of our audience a lot to think about and consider. So I want to thank you both for joining me today on this special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast.
2: Well, thank you for having us, Sarah.
0: listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.